Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Wheeland. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here at Asbury. Before we begin, I'd like to say thank you. So thank you so much for allowing me to open up the Word of God with you. I believe this is the Word of God. It has supernatural powers to shape and transform our lives. It's done that for me. So to be able to open up the Word of God with you and share with you what God has teached me in it is not something I take lightly. It's a real honor. So thank you. Also, before we begin, I'd like to say a quick word of prayer. Father, this is my prayer this morning, that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best, so that we can be pure and blameless for the day that you return. Lord, fill us with the fruit of righteousness. Fill us with the fruit of the Holy Spirit through your power, through the power of Christ. It's in Christ's name that we pray all these things. Amen. So today we are going to be in Luke 9, 57 through 62. So pull out your Bibles, get it up on your phone, maybe grab a pew Bible in front of you. We're going to be in Luke 9, 57 through 62. So follow along with me as I read out loud. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Terms and conditions. It's something that we don't always fully understand, right? We click accept We don't read the fine print. What exactly is it that I'm agreeing to? What are these terms and conditions? In our text today, we see Jesus's terms and conditions to follow him. Now, Apple or Android or Samsung, their terms and conditions can often be lengthy, confusing, difficult to read. Jesus doesn't make it that way. He tells us his terms and conditions, and we see them in the text today. And even if you forget all the specific details of everything and all the different things we're going to be going over, don't forget this one question. This is going to be a very important question to walk away with today. Will you accept Jesus's terms and conditions and follow him? What are his terms and conditions? Well, like I said, we have them in our text today, at least three of them. So we have three of his terms today. Before we get there, I want to uh, begin with two introductory remarks. First introductory remark. Some of you have probably heard of this passage before, and if not this passage, at least the phrase, the cost of following Jesus. In fact, most translations have this heading above this passage, the cost of following Jesus. Now, you may have heard from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you read his book, The Cost of Discipleship, it's along the same lines. And I'm using the phrase, terms and conditions for a really simple purpose. The reason is so we remember it. You know, it's something that we encounter in our everyday lives, and it's meaning the same thing. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Have you read the terms and conditions of following Jesus? 
It's something that we're going to encounter in our everyday lives, and we're applying the Bible to it so that next time we encounter it in our everyday lives, we think about the Bible. Make sense? Yeah? Second introductory remark. Salvation comes from faith alone, in Christ alone, as a gift, by grace, and it's not something we work for. These aren't the terms and conditions of salvation. It's a gift. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose on the third day, you believe it in your heart and you proclaim it with your mouth, you're saved. End of story. Now, after that, we respond to our salvation. We respond to our salvation by following Jesus. In our text today, the word akalutheo is the Greek word to follow. It shows up three times and it means to follow in a very specific way, to follow and become more like. In some places, it's even translated to be a disciple. So it means to follow after Jesus and become more like him. That's what we're talking about today. We're responding to the gift of salvation. That's free. And these are the terms of actually following after Jesus. We have a Christian word for following Jesus, for becoming more like Jesus. It's called sanctification. Have you guys heard of sanctification? So the process of sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus in response to our salvation. Sanctification, following Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, that's kind of all the same idea. And that's what we're talking about today. This is what it means to follow Jesus, become more like him, to be sanctified. And following Jesus day after day is actually a choice every day, sometimes every hour, sometimes every minute. Will he be the king of my life? Will I truly actually follow him? Will I submit to his rule? Will I let him tell me what to do? It's a hard thing, right? So do you accept the terms and conditions of following after Jesus? Well, before you click accept, let's talk about those terms and conditions. Term and condition number one, prepare for hardship. We start in our passage today in Luke 9 and verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. So as they were going, well, where were they going? They were going to Jerusalem. We read in Luke 9.51 that Jesus has now set his face toward Jerusalem. And although it's going to take them some time, that's where they're headed is towards Jerusalem, the place where Jesus is going to be crucified and die for our sins, the place where he's going to suffer. And then this man comes out of nowhere and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, I don't think you get it, actually. Are you sure? Because rabbis and their uh, students would typically lead pretty comfortable lives. They go from village to village teaching, eating with families, welcomed into the villages, and it was very comfortable. They had places to sleep, you know. And Jesus replies, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You see, animals even have places to sleep. But guess what? I won't, and neither will you. This is going to be uncomfortable. The things that I'm chasing after, the things that I'm going after, my kingdom is not on this planet. It's not of this world. I'm bringing it here, but eventually it's going to be otherly. I am I am thinking about other things. I'm not focused on this world. I'm not thinking about this world. And, and it's going to be hard. Jesus actually says something very striking just a few verses before about this hardship that his disciples are going to face. Then he said, so Jesus said to them all in Luke 9, 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
and take up their cross daily and follow me. We have to remember at this point, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So when Jesus mentions the cross, it is sort of predicting his own death, but at the same time, it's bringing to mind this Roman device meant for torture. That's what most people are probably thinking about. It is Roman torture perfection. The cross was in people's minds, a device for torture. They would be hung on the cross. They would suffer from exhaustion, asphyxiation. Slowly, their lungs would be uh, surrounded by water. That water would press in around their lungs. They'd use the leverage from the nails in their hands and feet to lift themselves up, take another breath, and then fall over again, unable to breathe. Just that one single breath over and over and over again until they died from suffocation. Not a good way to die. Roman torture perfection. And Jesus is saying, take up your cross, this device for torture, and follow me. Not exactly the way you'd expect to build a following, to build a church. Jesus had just uh, fed the 5,000, and he wants his disciples, whether new or old, to know something very, very important. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard to follow me. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. We must endure discomfort. We must endure the prospect of being ostracized from culture, being rejected from our friends and family. We don't fit in. We're not citizens here. We aren't. We're citizens elsewhere. We're going against the culture. We shouldn't just accept what the culture says and what the culture does. We should go against it because we believe in Jesus. We follow Jesus and it's going to be hard. Yes, we love people in the culture. Yes, we love people. Yes, we do. We, we're in the culture. We love it, but we're not becoming more like culture where we reject it and we push against it and we follow God's standards. We follow Jesus's standards. And because of that, there's going to be hardship. And not, not just uh, hardship. We read in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, it's going to be hard and people are going to be looking at us and wondering why we're making life so hard on ourselves. It's foolishness. Why are you falling after Jesus? You're making your life hard. Yeah, but it's worth it because it's true. And it's not just going to be hard. It's not, we're not going to just endure hardship. We're actually going to endure persecution. If we read in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13, in fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers, imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Jesus is making it very clear. The gospel here is ma making it very clear, and, and Paul's letter is making it very clear that as Christians, we will endure hardship. It's going to be hard. We're going up against the world in a lot of ways. We're to love people. We're to bring people to Jesus, but it's hard. Good news is we're not doing it alone. First of all, Jesus is with us. He really died for you. He really died for your sins. He really is here comforting you, protecting you, providing power, empowering you to get through, enduring with you, alongside of you, with you every step of the way. We also have each other. This is family here. We have each other. We can lean on each other. We can share this hardship with one another, learn to get through it and, and comfort one another through this hardship. And also, the Bible even says there's real benefits to this hardship that we're going to face. So what are these benefits? There are benefits for this hardship. 
Here's just a glimpse at some of them. So James 1, verses 2 through 4 say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we're going to be mature, complete, and not lacking anything if we are able to endure through hardship. We will be refined. It's going to be hard, but we become better people. We become mature, complete, and not lacking anything. What's more, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So we are trained on how to comfort people and others through our hardship. God comforts us and brings us through that as a training ground to help us comfort those who are going through a difficult time. If we're following Jesus and we're going to be more like Jesus, we're called to suffer simply for the fact that he suffered. And if we're going to be more like him, we're going to suffer. 1 Peter 2.21 says, to this you were called. What? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. If we're going to follow in his footsteps, we're going to suffer. But again, it's not for no reason. Romans 8, 17 says something absolutely crazy about sharing in Christ's suffering, enduring through hardship. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We share in his glory when we suffer. We share in his sufferings. We share in his glory. I don't know exactly what that means. I imagine it has something to do with sharing in all the gloriousness of heaven with Christ. Somehow we get to be co-heirs with that. We get to inherit that with Christ, sharing his glory because we're sharing in his sufferings, because we're suffering alongside of him, because we're sharing in that. And not to minimize it, the sufferings that we're going through, because this world is very tough and life can be really crappy, for sure. However, he continues on in verse 18, Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. These present hardships might be tough, but they're nothing in comparison to the future glory. So preparing for hardship is an important thing for the Christ follower to prepare for. That's the first term and condition. We are told we're going to suffer. We're told that there's going to be hardship and even persecution. So, Term and condition number two, recognize what is important. We continue on in our text for the day, verse uh, 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. The situation is a little bit different. Jesus approaches the man and says, hey, you should follow me. And the man's like, "Uh, give me a sec, I got to bury my father, which is a totally reasonable request. You know, especially because Jesus approached the man. The man didn't even come to Jesus. And Jesus' response is really striking. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What? (laughs) Are you kidding me, Jesus? This guy can't even bury his own father? Seems kind of 
Kind of insane, doesn't it? That seems really striking. Some commentators sort of soften the blow of this and they say, well, maybe, you know, the man is asking, let me stay with my dad. He's an, an old man now. He's getting older. Let me stay with him a few years, bury him, and then I'll follow you. So just give me a, a little time. Now, although that might be the case, I, I don't think it's necessary. And I think the contrast is actually really important. This almost offensive language that Jesus is using is making a very, very important point. He's saying, following me is the most important thing in your entire life, full stop, no exceptions. I am it. I am your most important commitment. Now, funerals back in the day were very important. In fact, they would supersede almost all other um, social commitments, similar to today. You know, that would be an okay thing for him to do. However, even more important than that is following after Jesus. The point is not to jettison all responsibilities. The point is not to say, we need to ignore all of our other responsibilities, ignore our friends and family, stop going to work, and just focus on this. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, in in Luke 4, uh, we see that uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He goes out of his way to heal Peter's mother-in-law. Family's important to Jesus. Responsibilities are important to Jesus. That's not the point he's making. The point he's making is it's extremely important. In fact, it's the most important thing to do if we're going to follow Christ. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, this full commitment is reflected in the Shema, which is the greatest commandment in the Bible. It's requoted by Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the greatest commandment. The Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love God with everything you are always. Always love God with everything you are. That is the most important thing in life. Romans puts it another way. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our whole lives, as we live, we are sacrificially living our whole lives for God. That's what is required. That is the term and condition of following Jesus. Whole life, everything else is less important than following Jesus. Now, oftentimes we can focus on what is urgent rather than what is important. What do I mean by that? Urgent requests in our mind are loud. They come up out of nowhere and it's like, kind of catches our attention. We need to distinguish what is important from what is urgent. So committing to Jesus is important. We've decided that. Then urgent urgent requests come up that sort of subverse it and push it out of the way. Some examples of this, even if you don't follow Jesus, you know, maybe you think the law is important. Traffic laws are important. Um, You've decided that in your head for the sake of safety, right? Of others, traffic laws are important for the sake of not getting a ticket. Traffic laws are important, but you're late right? And all of a sudden, urgency takes hold and you ignore what you've decided is important. You've made the decision that traffic laws are important, but you don't care and you ignore what is important for what is urgent. Maybe you're uh, talking face-to-face with a friend and you know that's important. Your friends are important. You want to keep talking to them. You understand that that's important and all of a sudden something buzzes in your pocket. And the urgency of your phone 
It's got to come out. You have to check it. You ignore what you've already decided is important in your life. You've ignored it. And this urgent request takes precedence. Maybe you're uh, at work and your boss says you need to work late and you had a family plans and all of a sudden the urgent request of your boss takes precedence over what you've already decided, your commitments to family. Maybe your commitment to Jesus in the morning. No, you should spend time with Jesus in the morning, but all of a sudden life takes hold. It starts to go and the requests of the day take hold and you all of a sudden forget that you're going to spend a quiet time with Jesus. Urgency wins the day. Not that these things are bad. These urgent things aren't bad, but we need to distinguish what is urgent versus what is important. We need to understand that Jesus is it. He is the most important thing in our lives. And why? Why is this so important? We get a hint of that in our text in Luke 9, 60. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This is the reason why it is the most important thing in your life. Because we are called to proclaim the kingdom of God. We are called to make disciples. Eternity is at stake. Heaven and hell are real and people all around us are actually perishing. This is a heartbreaking and painful reality. People will be judged on the last day and will be cast into hell. And that is a horrible, horrible, sad reality. And we have the answer. We know the gospel truth. We have the good news that will bring people from death to life, eternal consequences. We know the gospel that will save people. If they will only hear and believe that Jesus died for their sins, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, if they believe it in their heart, proclaim it to the mouth, their, with their mouth, they will be saved. They only need to hear and believe saved from eternal suffering, given the gift of eternal life. This is important. This is the most important thing in our lives. We proclaim the good news to all people with with an understanding of its importance so that those who hear and believe might be saved, even if not all believe. There is a real spiritual battle going on for souls, and we're involved. DC Talk puts it this way. Beyond this physical terrain, there is an invisible domain where angels battle over souls in vast array. But down on earth is where I am. No wings to fly, no place to stand. Here on my knees, I am a stranger in this land. There is a battle for souls going on amidst us. And we are part of that. We are called to proclaim the gospel. We are called to share the good news with those around us. We are part of this. And guess what? As a side note, if we're part of a battle, part of the reason we're going to endure hardship, part of the reason why there will be hardship in our lives is because we're in a battle. We're in a war. We're soldiers. You know, like we're in it. We're in the thick of it. This is the most important thing in our lives. In fact, this is one of the terms and conditions of following Jesus that he has to be number one. He won't sell for anything less. We need to recognize what's important. Finally, term and condition number three, remain focused. We see that in our text. We continue on in verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Although Jesus's response again here is a bit striking, it's a bit startling, like he just wants to say goodbye to his family. It's a little bit easier, a little bit softer because of 
what Jesus just said, right? It's a little bit easier to digest. And I think it might be a little bit easier to unpack as well. So you can't look back at your past life. You can't look back at who you were. You're a new creation. And if you're going to be a useful worker in the kingdom of God, you got to stay focused on what God has called you to do. Don't feel unqualified because of your past life. Christ died for that. You're now a new person. You are a new creation and you have work to do. No person in the kingdom of God is fit for service if they keep looking back at all the mistakes they've made. God has a specific purpose for you. Yes, we all have work to do as the big C church, but actually you have something to do as well. Ephesians 2.10 says to us that, for we are God's handy. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has prepared individual plans for each one of you. He has works for each one of you to do. And he enumerates some of these gifts in Romans 12, 6 and 7. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. If it is administration, cooking, helping, caring, guiding, praying, building, painting, drawing, music, or anything else, God has prepared it in advance for you to do. He has work for you to do. Don't get distracted by whether or not you're qualified to do it. Because guess what? We're all unqualified. We are. I'm unqualified. But guess what? It's no longer I who live. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. He qualifies me. He died on the cross for me. And now he's qualified me. I'm able to do good works because of him. You're able to do good works because of him. He qualified you. Don't get distracted and jealous of other people and what they're doing. You got a job to do. Don't turn around and look back. Dr. Osborne, a former professor of mine, describes this metaphor of looking back, the plow and the ox this way. He says, this is a heavy iron plow drawn by an ax and easily shifts out of line in a field. One hand is on the plow, the other guiding the the ox. For a farmer to look back is to guarantee the plow will swerve out of its straight furrow. To be an effective worker in the kingdom of God, we need to stay focused on what God has qualified us for, what he's called us to do, and what he set us up to do. We all have a calling. If we want to follow Jesus, one of his terms and conditions is that we stay focused. All right? So, do you accept? Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Do you accept the terms and conditions? I hope next time you see this, you know, pop up on your phone or your tablet, you think through, all right, there's terms and conditions for following Jesus. He has things that he said, hey, uh, you're going to need to do this for me. So what are they? Well, first, prepare for hardship. We need to be prepared that the Christian life following Jesus is going to be hard. And that hardship is used for good, but it's still going to be hard. Term and condition two, recognize what is important, namely the gospel. The gospel that will bring people from eternal death to eternal life. Three, remain focused. As a worker in the kingdom of God, we have things to do. We have work to do. Don't get distracted by your past life and whether or not you're qualified to do the work because God, Christ, he qualified you to do it and he prepared it for you in advance. So again, I hope next time you see that little pop-up, you think about this question. Do you accept these terms and conditions? Will you accept the terms and conditions, Jesus's terms and conditions, and follow 
him. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We thank you for bringing us from death to life. We thank you that you have qualified us to to do good works, and we pray that we can remain focused on what it is you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you for the community around us. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you use uh, hardship for good things in our life. We ask, Lord, that we can also focus on what is important in our lives and, and really focus on the gospel and focus on proclaiming the good news so that all who hear and believe might be saved. Jesus, be with us this week. Empower us this week. Go with us this week. Have, have, help us be sensitive to your spirit and, and how he's moving and, and impacting and pushing on our hearts to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.